0: In episode 89 of Mosin at Large, voting closes soon in Mushroom FM's Holiday Countdown. Make sure that you cast yours. As this decade draws to a close, what are some of your blindness-related technology highlights? Word from the front line of the pandemic and songs that have kept you going.
1: Mosin at
2: Large Podcast.
0: You're very welcome to contribute to the podcast, and there are two ways to do it. You can drop me an email to jonathan, that's J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N, at mushroomfm.com. You can write something in that email, or you can attach an audio recording using anything that records and you can attach to an email. You can also call the listener line. That number is in the United States. It's 864-60-MOSIN, 864-606-6736, and record a message that could be included in the podcast. Concise contributions always help. We can't include everything because of the volume of contributions we receive. And please note that if we do use your content, we reserve the right to edit it for clarity and brevity. You can follow Mosin at Large, all one word, on Twitter to join the conversation with other listeners to get sneak peeks about what's coming up on the podcast. And I regularly tweet links that I think will be of interest to Mosin at Large listeners. To keep up to date with Mosin at Large and radio-related activities I'm doing, you can subscribe to our media email list. It's announcements only, and the traffic is very light. To do that, send a blank email to media-subscribe at mosin.org. That's media-subscribe at mosin.org. The podcast version of this show contains extracts from the full version, which is heard live on Mushroom FM at mushroomfm.com and anywhere that you listen to radio stations at 2 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time on a Saturday afternoon. For the full Mosin at Large experience, I encourage you to be part of that community. And finally, before we get into the episode this week, a reminder that this podcast is long, and to help you navigate past the bits that you aren't interested in to the bits that you are, it's segmented by chapters. If you have a podcast app capable of supporting chapters, and many on iOS and Android do this, you can skip between segments of the show yes Christmas time is here again ain't been round since you know when and that means that voting is underway with the countdown and it also means that I can dust this off I've actually because I had requests to do this put it on the YouTube now so I will include a YouTube link in the show notes if you would like to hear this and you can share it and please do encourage people to vote for it in the Mushroom FM countdown if you like it okay Google take me to the pub
3: The pub is 13 minutes from your location by car and light traffic. I want the Google driving car for Christmas. Only the Google driving car will do. I don't like the bus. I can't stand the train. Because sometimes public transportation really is a pain. I want the Google driving car for Christmas. My car can take my children to the zoo. I thought I might like to ride a racing bike. But I got too close to a car that snapped my cane in two. I can see me now one Christmas morning checking out the tree. And I'd find the Santa's elf brought a car that drives itself It would drive down to the pub with me I want a Google driving car for Christmas Only a Google driving car will do I don't want a droid Or geeky Google glasses I only like Google driving casses And Google driving casses like me too To the store when I get the urge instead of 3 a.m. So I avoid the Uber surge I'd watch a driving movie and when we arrived I'd make sure that from now on they were audio described I can see me now on Christmas morning Checking out the tree And I'd find that Santa's elf brought a car that drives itself It would drive down to the pub with me I want a Google driving car for Christmas Only a Google driving car will do I don't want a droid or geeky Google Glasses. I only like Google driving Casses and Google driving Casses like me too.
0: Welcome to the final Mosin at Large sort of talky talk show bit on Mushroom FM for the year. We will be doing a final podcast to those who listen on the podcast feed where we'll give you the complete Amazon Fire TV setup and demonstration. And that'll come out sometime before Christmas. But this is the last get together of the year and of the decade where we all hang out and we chat about this and that. And it's a pleasure to have you with me today. I'm also feeling incredibly grateful for a lot of things. So let me express first my thanks for all your support over this amazing year of Mosin at Large where we've seen a lot of growth and listener numbers. What really makes the show work is the participation, the fact that we get such a diversity of opinions and perspectives and topics. So you really keep it going. And I'm just profoundly grateful that you turn up, that you download, that you listen, however you get this on Mushroom FM or on the podcast feed, that you do bother when there is so much choice out there. So it, it amazes me. Thank you so much. I do have a pretty full on job during the week and I look forward to these sort of recharge times and just hanging out with people and talking about things that are important to us or that bring back memories for us or that just kind of help us hang out. Now, we do a lot of programming on Mushroom FM, and every so often I get a really nice email from someone. I mean, understandably, when you provide a service, every so often you get an email that's not so nice as well. But usually I get some really kind emails from people saying how much Mushroom FM means to them. I'm particularly conscious that at Christmas time, it can be a very joyous time for many. But it can be a very emotionally difficult time for others, perhaps who don't have special family members or friends around with them. And in this particular era, where the pandemic is still raging in so many parts of the world, there are additional difficulties. So Mushroom FM will, as we usually do, be providing a lot of quality Christmas entertainment to keep you company if you would like some company over Christmas. And I know how much that means to people. But I got a lot of email this week about the 24 hours of tribute to John Lennon that we ran, and it was really great to just hear from people who feel the same profound impact of the Beatles and John Lennon on their lives as I do. It was just amazing. So thank you to those who took the time to listen and who provided that feedback. I have read a couple of John Lennon-related books over the week. I didn't know until a listener slipped it into the conversation last week here that James Patterson was involved in a book on John Lennon. And I did read that. It's kind of a pocket history of The Beatles. It seems pretty accurate from what I can gather. I didn't like it particularly because, well, it didn't tell me anything new other than the fact that I have not taken a lot of interest in John Lennon's killer. I think uh, doing so gives him exactly what he craved in the first place. So the fact that he is named and is a pretty main character in the book, uh, it's obviously designed to sell books and fair enough. But I finished the book feeling angry really and and sad and just, uh, yeah. Anyway, if you don't know much about the Beatles, it might be a good way to get into a kind of a pocket history of of how the Beatles became famous and what John Lennon's life was like. But the outstanding book that I read was the second one by a guy called Kenneth Womack. And it's called John Lennon, 1980. And it has the subtitle, The Last Days in the Life. And if you're a true Beatles fan, you really get into the weeds and you like all the detail. You will love this book. It seems to have been very well researched. And it also seems like he had some pretty good access to the right people to write the book with this level of detail. I picked it up on Apple Books. It could be available on Kindle, possibly in other places. But John Lennon, 1980, the subtitle, The Last Days in the Life, a really good, comprehensive read. I learned some stuff from that book. And I have to say that it's not often I can say that anymore about Beatle things. So good stuff. Now, I have to remind you again, I want to remind you again, that we are getting ever closer to Mushroom FM's Top 100 Countdown and our Christmas party. And all you have to do is vote for your top 10 holiday songs that you feel like this year. You know, it varies from year to year. I get that. If you want to vote for I Want the Google Driving Car for Christmas by Jonathan Mosin. Well, you should. (laughs) I cannot believe that thing's got to number one twice on our countdown. (laughs) So you can vote. I gave you a demo of how to do that last week. And I know how it is, you see. I bet you thought, yeah, I'll get round to doing that. And now a whole week has gone by since you and I were together last. And you may still not have done it. (gasps) And you know what's going to happen? You know, there's last-minute shopping. There are arrangements to be made. So if you're listening to this on the podcast... Why not press pause and head on over now to MushroomFM.com slash Countdown2020. That's all one word. MushroomFM.com slash Countdown2020 and cast your vote and get it done and get that invitation to our virtual Christmas party. No social distancing necessary on Sunday the 20th, and that will be from 9 a.m. until 7 p.m. North American Eastern time. So get in there and cast your vote. It's going to be fun and it's going to be even more fun if you are a part of it. And, you know, you don't have to listen for the whole 10 hours, but lots of good Christmas tunes and plenty of entertainment. I very much look forward to you casting your vote especially for, I want the Google driving car for Christmas. <clears throat> so it's going to be good. Now, I have had a really great week this week. As I mentioned, we had graduations coming up and my daughter Nicola graduated from high school first. That was amazing stuff. I mean, it was a, an end of an era for me because she was the last one at high school. And it made me think, wow, that time went quickly. And she won the prize for fashion design at her school which is really good. She was dead chuffed about it, as were her parents and step-parents, because she's going on to study fashion design. So this is really fantastic. And then Heidi graduated with her Bachelor of Engineering with honours. And I was struck by what an accessible experience that was for me. Because so many people were graduating at these ceremonies at the end of the year because they didn't have the mid-year ones due to lockdowns and social distancing. They had to limit the number of people who could attend the ceremony. And only three people were able to attend from Heidi's family. So her mother and I and Heidi's husband, Henry, Heidi's husband, Henry, uh, we all went. But they did stream a very good quality live stream for other family members and friends to be able to watch. And when we got there, there was a QR code on the program, and Henry was able to give me the URL, and by clicking on that, I was able to read the program right there at the venue like everyone else. Really cool. So I knew what was happening when. And to cap it off, they had a hearing loop system at the venue as well, so tuning into it was no problem, and I was really able to enjoy the ceremony. I must confess to shedding a little tear. It was lovely when Heidi paraded on the stage in the section of people getting their degrees with honours. Being a dad is just the best thing that ever happened to me in my whole life. So it's been a wonderful week. But I am preparing to shut down for the year and not do much. Listen to lots of cricket on the radio, read a lot. During my summer break, I normally fast for four to five days and meditate a lot just go on a free form schedule and so we will be back with mosen at large on the 23rd of january and you are welcome in the intervening period to send in any contributions that might occur to you over the break because often it can be hard to spin these sorts of shows back up again after a break so if something occurs to you a tech thought, or any kind of blindness question, or any question really, and you want to just get it in as an audio attachment or an email, you are welcome to do that, and then we'll have some material to launch the first show of the new decade with the usual contact methods apply. You can email jonathan at mushroomfm.com with an audio attachment, or you can write it down, and the listener line number will remain open throughout the break, eight six four six zero 60 mosin that's 864-606-6736. I do hope that the weather improves a bit. We have had ferocious winds in Wellington, and Wellington here in New Zealand is known as the Windy City. It does get really windy, but this wind is insane. It's ripped the top of our clothesline off. It's a mess out in our backyard. It also sort of tore bushes asunder. Sometimes when they do weather bulletins in Wellington, they tell you you have to Secure your trampolines, that's how bad it gets. So a little bit of real summer, and and some of New Zealand's got it, but we haven't really yet. So a little bit of summer would be nice.
1: Mosin at Large Podcast.
4: Hi, Jonathan, it's Peter from merry old England. I hope your family are safe and well. I hope the listeners are also. As this year has been a difficult year, I'd like to know what song has kept you going. What song did everybody play at least once or twice a week to keep them going? I'll start the ball rolling with a song by Tiny Ruins from the album Brightly Painted One and the song was called Me at the Museum and You in the Winter Gardens. Sends me to sleep most nights. To stop squeaking cassette tapes I used to use a cotton bud and some Surgical Spirits and I used to gently wipe the tape heads. Please keep this bottle away from children, and also label it if you have no useful vision. Mistakes could happen, and you could be drinking from the wrong bottle. Not a good idea. Take care, everybody, and may next year be a happy one. And a Merry Christmas to you all.
0: Thank you, Peter, and a very Merry Christmas to you as well. It took me a while to think of a song, but then I realised that one song I did play a lot when we were locked down was The Sun Will Come Out Tomorrow from Annie. It's always such a lovely, optimistic song, isn't it? And the other song that I played a lot was Dame Vera Lynn's We'll Meet Again, inspired by what I thought was a really nice speech from the Queen. Now, I'm no royalist, we can't be Karma Republic soon enough, as far as I'm concerned, here in New Zealand. But I thought that that message from the Queen was very moving, particularly when she made reference to We'll Meet Again. And I love the music of Dame Vera Lynn. When she died, even though so much was going on with the Rona, it was still, I, I was very sad. And she was one hell of a good age, wasn't she? I mean, she, she'd lived a long and good life but it was still really sad to me when she died. And so We'll Meet Again was also a song that I played a lot. What a voice she had. So there you go. If there are songs that have helped you through these difficult times, do feel free to share that with us. Get in touch, jonathan at mushroomfm.com with an audio attachment or an email message. Eight six four six zero 60 mosen is the phone number in the United States. Over the last decade, I have read a lot of books on mindfulness and meditation and self-improvement in general. And there's one study that keeps coming up. This is a study about a bunch of kids. And they did this experiment on these kids. Don't worry, it's not too gruesome. (laughs) Where it, it involved marshmallows, you see. And they gave these kids marshmallows and they sat them down And I think they were about four, these children, so quite young. And they said, if you can wait for 15 minutes, you will get an extra marshmallow. But if you eat it now, you won't get the extra marshmallow, but you're welcome to eat it if you want to. And they monitored the kids that couldn't stand it. Some of them ate the marshmallow right away, right away. Others tried their hardest, and in the end, they had to give in and they ate the marshmallow, and then some kids waited for the full 15 minutes, and they got their extra marshmallow. Now here's where it gets genius. They tracked those children into adulthood, and those that had the discipline to wait for the extra marshmallow tended to be a lot more successful in life. They had good jobs, they studied hard, they settled down, and those who opted for the marshmallow right away, tended not to do so well. They were spontaneous in a, in a not good way, and things didn't go so well for them in many cases. I mean, these things aren't universal. The reason why I bring up this Stanford experiment from 1972 is because it has some parable-like relevance to what I want to say. First of all, of course, it goes to show that there is some value in delayed gratification. That's what there is. And I tell you this at the beginning of a recap of this decade, because for those of us who can count, for those of us who are not sheep, this is our time. You will recall that I began this year of Mosin at Large by pointing out that it is not the first year of a new decade despite what so many people were saying. And there were some people who got very upset with me about this and said that they believe that the decade has started. People can believe whatever the hell they want. It's a free world, isn't it? But it doesn't change the facts. Numbers are quite clear. Actually, I do remember reading a book by Arthur C. Clarke, and it might have been He wrote so many, didn't he? But it might have been 3001 or something like that. But he was obviously concerned about this problem as well, because one of his characters was looking back at an old video where they were celebrating, I think, the dawn of the new millennium or something, and they were celebrating it a year early in 2000. And he was saying, why were people so primitive that they celebrated a new millennium and a new decade a year early? I mean, it really is astounding to me and people can say and people did say back in January when I pointed this out who cares why get so bent out of shape over it I'm not bent out of shape over it I'm simply putting out a fact and it's kind of ridiculous isn't it that people want to silence those who have the courage and the guts to go against the grain and tell you the truth so for those who weren't listening then let me explain how this works it's really quite simple The last year of the previous era was 1 BC. What we did not have was a year 0. So the first year of this era was January the 1st in the year 1 AD. That's the start of that new uh, era and also the first decade of that new era. So count on your fingers. Year 1, year 2 Year 3, year 4, year 5, year 6, year 7, year 8, year 9, year 10. You get to the end of year 10 and you have got your decade right there. So the second decade of the era began on January the 1st in the year 11. And so it has been until somewhere down the line, people sort of thought that it was cool to celebrate the big digit changing. And we can celebrate that. I mean, any excuse for a celebration right now, who's going to be grinchy and get in the way of it? We can celebrate the fact that on January the 1st, we went from 2019 to 2020. We can even celebrate the big one when it went from 1999 to 2000. That's a big digit change. But it wasn't the end of a decade Or in the case of 2000, it wasn't the end of a millennium. We can have two celebrations. And of course, any 10 years is a decade. Any 100 years is a century. But when you're talking about the decades of this era, the next one begins on January the 1st, 2021. And so why I tell you the marshmallow story is that those of us who've waited now get the chance to legitimately celebrate what is really the new decade that is about to come. And if you think that this stuff doesn't matter, just look around you and see what happens when we allow alternative facts to take hold. You get people who think that 5G is causing the Rona. You get people who think that elections were stolen when there's no evidence of that fact. You get the anti vaxxers putting us in danger, and on and on it goes. So these things do matter. So I hope that over the next few weeks, you, as informed Mosin at Large listeners, will proudly celebrate the end of this decade and the beginning of a new one, and spread the word. You have numbers that cannot lie on your side. So let's talk about technology. In this decade, particularly as it has impacted on us as blind people, the decade before this one just ending, the one that started with the new millennium on the 1st of January 2001, that was a biggie for both mainstream and blindness technology. By the end of it, we had iPhones and iPads and mainstream companies were more aware of accessibility than ever. So how would we sum up this decade just ending? what were the highlights? Obviously, more people have jumped on the iPhone bandwagon in this last decade, many of whom thought that they would never, ever use a touchscreen device. It has been quite the revolution and, dare I use a cliche, quite the paradigm shift for many blind people. iPhones got more powerful every year had better cameras every year, and some of the changes have been so incremental that perhaps we have forgotten how impactful they've been. It is far easier for a blind person to take pictures and videos now. Cameras that once were considered mysterious sighted people things play a big part in our lives. And while we may think that bigger and more powerful is kind of boring, think of all the things that more computing power has made possible. When voiceover came to the iPhone in 2009, many people started dreaming about Alex, the famous Apple voice from the Mac, being on the iPhone. People said that would never happen. Phones simply aren't powerful enough. The sheer power of these computers in our pockets mean they can literally look at a room and tell us what's there. While computers have become more powerful, bandwidth has also become more abundant for many of us as well. At the end of the decade in 2010, I had an ADSL connection using the copper phone network that I thought was pretty fast and reliable. Mind you, I can remember my 56k modem and thinking that was fast and reliable as well. Things keep moving on, don't they? Thanks to the then government's foresight here in New Zealand, we invested in getting pure fibre to the doors of most New Zealanders. And in 2015, it finally arrived at Mosin Towers. And now we have plans available to us here that are offering 8 gigabits in both directions. So you have a convergence of incredible computing power and abundant bandwidth, both fixed and mobile. That has meant that some of the applications of science fiction have started to become actual reality. I was so excited about Siri, which was announced with the iPhone 4S in the first year of this decade, 2011, that I lined up for an iPhone for about six hours so I could walk in at midnight and get it. We had things like voice control on Windows Mobile before, of course, but Siri was streets ahead of anything that had come before it. It could be argued, in my view convincingly, that Siri had long since lost that edge. But this decade has been the one where voice computing has really played a bigger part in our lives. Certainly for people of my age, if we transport ourselves back to our childhoods, if someone had told us that we would have little computers or little speakers, where we could simply ask for any fact and a human-like voice would instantly give the answer to us, it would have been considered incredibly cool, and futuristic. The Amazon Echo, in my view, is one of the coolest products of this decade. It just works, it's useful, it's fairly inexpensive, and it's got personality. But I am disappointed. I thought that voice control, voice commands, would have been a lot further on than they are, which I guess illustrates what a difficult field this is. When I got Siri at the beginning of the decade, I did think that by the end of the decade where we are now, we would be saying things like book a flight any time between midday and six to depart Auckland and go to Wellington and I prefer a window seat and it would go away and do all those things. We have a long way to go before we reach that point. Abundant bandwidth and major computing power has given us smart speakers of all kinds, Sonos wasn't invented in this decade, but the world caught up with Sonos's vision in terms of better wireless networks in the home, better online services, and better bandwidth. With all the Sonos devices we have here at Mosentowers, Sonos has certainly been a wonderful tech highlight of the decade for us. Also helping to make this the decade of Sonos is what has happened to music. Again, thinking about my childhood... The idea that I could have a range of devices that would simply play any song I asked for would have been unbelievable. Although it was founded in 2006, it was Spotify's launch in the United States at the beginning of this decade, in July of 2011, that really changed the game. So, with smart speakers, voice services, and streaming music services, the way we consume a lot of our entertainment has changed radically we can also celebrate a much greater societal awareness of accessibility emerging during this decade. And frankly, I think we have Apple to thank for pushing the tech industry in that direction. Apple could have done just enough to keep regulators off their backs by introducing a product that was like the Razor on Windows used to be, minimal functionality and usually neglected for ages. Apple thinks a lot about the impact of its products. They believe, and rightly so, that what they do matters, that they can achieve good social change. As we know, they don't always get it right, but that philosophy laid down the gauntlet to the entire technology industry and set a new bar. Blind people are now considered a market. We now have an incredible number of audio-described titles to choose from. Again, once Netflix moved, it created a domino effect. There are many apps in the iOS App Store specifically written for blind people. There are way too many to mention them all, but highlights of this decade for me include Voice Dream Reader and Scanner, Seeing AI, Envision AI, WayAround, Embraille, Cash Reader, and many apps that are no longer around or have lessened in popularity because of cheaper options. Let's not forget the game-changing moment, for example, when KNFB Reader came to iOS and finally gave us a scanning app that was truly viable and delivered usable results almost every time. Blind people have benefited from the smart home revolution as well. Many appliances like lights, heating, security and even ovens are easier to control because they integrate with Apple HomeKit or Google and Amazon's smart platforms. Fitness and general well-being... Has been a major feature of this decade for me, and I'm pleased to say I end the decade in much better shape, physically and mentally, than when I started it. And having a powerful computer on my wrist has been very helpful. Tracking my workouts, my heart rate, blood oxygen levels, and other data, all integrated with Apple's health app, where other devices like my Withings Smart Scale send data to give me a complete picture of my health. When you measure it, you know what you need to improve. The way we travel has changed for the better. Blind Square has been a positive player over the decade. I remember demonstrating Blind Square beacons on a podcast when Wellington, New Zealand's capital city where I live, had its central business district kitted out with Blind Square beacons. Many mainstream products offer great accessibility features, including Apple and Google's own Maps apps. This decade will also be remembered as the decade where a long-dreamed dream came true. I can remember even hosting Main Menu 20 years ago, people talking of the idea of using camera technology to give blind people access to sighted assistance on demand. A blind man, Hans-Georgian Weiberg, made that happen. Be My Eyes is a massively popular and successful service, and it's useful. Then, Suman Kanyganti took the concept professional. Ira is the culmination of many of the major technology trends of this decade that we've been talking about. Bandwidth to burn, powerful cameras, reliable GPS data, and the gig economy, and even artificial intelligence. They've had a few speed wobbles along the way and tried various business models, but it remains an incredibly helpful, game-changing product. Professional well-trained agents, available 24-7. Visiting a farmer's market and confidently knowing what stores we're passing, or as a blind person with a significant hearing impairment, cruising around an unfamiliar airport with ira that's liberation. Speaking of the gig economy, many of us now use ride-sharing services as our primary mode of transportation. We've had our problems, including too many dog refusals, but I love the Uber experience overall. Most of the time, it's hassle-free. And of course, in those crowded environments, the IRA integration is very helpful. So you may well think this decade didn't have any huge hey wow moments like we had with the iPhone in the previous decade. And I think you'd be right. But how often do those moments actually happen? Huge leaps like that are rare. We've come a long way. I have serious concerns about digital exclusion, about how this technology holds so much promise, but training and cost remain significant barriers for too many of us. It would be a very brave person who predicts what's coming in the next decade. But I'm optimistic, and I look forward to sharing it with you. Hi Jonathan, says Dan Tveld. I think the device which has had the most impact on my life is the iPhone. I got my first iPhone in 2010 and really struggled with the touchscreen interface for a couple of months. Once I understood the touch gesture concept, there was no holding me back. By the time I learned how to use TalkBack, I was comfortable enough with touch gestures to make the transition to Android. Now that I no longer need to use Android for a job, I've been using iOS as my preferred operating system. Despite the problems with Braille with an uppercase B support, Apple continues to make progress incorporating new features like image descriptions into voiceover. If I could find as many accessible iOS applications as I currently use with Windows, I would stop using the Windows environment and use iOS exclusively. Despite the advances Microsoft has made with artificial intelligence, and new screen reader features for NVDA and JAWS, we still do not have an equivalent touch gesture experience in the Windows environment. If the user wants to interact with Windows by touch, then they need to memorize touch gestures for Windows, NVDA and JAWS, which doesn't eliminate the confusion we have when we exclusively use keyboard commands. Microsoft should have enforced a standard set of screen reader commands like Apple did, I recently attended the Tech Global Conference, where Freedom Scientific participated in a panel ostensibly discussing the issue of how people could interact with screen readers without a keyboard. The only topics that were discussed were image description and using artificial intelligence to interpret voice commands. Nobody talked about the challenge memorizing and using a bewildering number of Windows and screen reader keyboard commands or a possible alternative. Thanks, Dan. I guess the argument could be that the JAWS voice, I need to use the word there, is a keyboard alternative for those, as you put it, bewildering screen reader commands. I like to think, though, that this is where training comes in, isn't it? I use a lot of the JAWS keyboard commands and I'm thankful every day for the efficiency it gives me because I have committed them to memory. Admittedly, I've been using JAWS for Windows for, you know, 25 years or however long it's been. And because I was in there relatively early, I've seen the keyboard commands increase over time. So I've been able to commit little bits of keyboard commands to memory as they added new features. I can imagine it might be very overwhelming if you're coming to this fairly new, where well, the product is mature and as powerful as JAWS is. Mickey Quenza says, I love the new technology, but things are not going so well. Now you have smart speakers that don't work unless you are connected to the internet. Plug them in without the internet, and they might as well be gone from your life. Smart speakers give no information to blind people without booting up. We need to make it clear to manufacturers that they need to make things do something without the internet. And indications should be audible as well as visual. Smart speakers should have a default mode that works like speakers used to. That's really interesting, Mickey. Thanks so much. It makes me wonder what the state of your internet is like, because I actually cannot remember the last time we had an internet outage here. For me, the internet is kind of like a utility. It's just always on. Maybe your internet, perhaps where you live, is is more flaky, and that's what's causing the frustration there.
5: Hello, Jonathan. I just wanted to um, share a couple of thoughts with you as I reflect on the technology that I've been using over the last decade, I guess. Doesn't time fly? I mean, it doesn't seem... It seems yesterday I got my first iPhone, and in actual fact, it was the summer of 2011, so Nearly 10 years ago, wow, um, when I got my first iPhone, which was an iPhone 4S. Funnily enough, i still got it. I'm so reluctant to let it go because it's a special phone to me that it was my first phone. Um, <laughs> it does still turn on It does work. Um, all right, it, it won't update. It's, you know, on iOS 9 and whatever it is. Um, but you can do some things on it. Um, but yes, it's it's staying with me. I won't let it go. <laughs> Funnily enough, I was always in the group of people who were like, no, I'm not having one of these iPhones. I don't want one. At the time, I had one of these touchpad phones that uh, that used a strange voice to um, talk to you. <laughs> Got it from the and I think. And... I was staying with a friend at the time. Now she had one of the really early iPhones. You know, she got one when they first came out, I think. We went to college together and she tried for a while, you know, to say, come on, these iPhones really aren't that bad. And she used to let me play on hers and all the rest of it. And, you know, at the time I was a bit, oh, I don't, I don't like this thing. I can't feel the buttons. And, um, I went to stay with her in the summer of 2011 and she said, To me, one day she says, come on, we've just gone look in the Apple store, you know, we've just gone look. And she kind of made it sound like she wanted to buy some stuff, you know, we've just gone look. Anyway, we went into the Apple store and to cut a long story short, I came out with an iPhone 4S. She obviously realised it was her that was going to have to teach me to use the thing. (laughs) And she was very good about it. Uh cut a long story short, I have her to thank for everything in that respect. And I've had two more iPhones since. I got an iPhone SE in 2015 and a few months ago I got an SE twenty twenty. I wouldn't be doing without my iPhone now. I really wouldn't. I c you know. I sit and reflect now, as I sit and reflect, I just think, why were you so anti-iPhone you know these are brilliant things these things look at what I can do I can do I do nearly all of my everyday tasks using my phone you know so I just think why was I so no 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 you know what I mean I've also um recently got a braille display which I use every day I get you know I wouldn't be without that either um because it means I can shut voiceover up. I'm a competent brailleist and I like to use Braille as my main reading and writing medium. So um I recently got a Braille display that I absolutely love to be able to just hook up to my phone, switch voiceover off, read the braille instead, and I just think it's far more private. When I'm typing, it's far quicker. I can use the iPhone keyboard, it's just I'm a little bit slow and, and, you know, I'm one of these impatient people who just wants text written quickly. I've never got on with using dictation or Siri to text because uh, I I found I end up having to edit it anyway. That's just what I think as I sit and reflect and just think, wow, you know, I've certainly become a lot more confident in the last decade with technology. Loving the show. I listen every week. I always look forward to the Mosin at Large show every week. So um you really do a fantastic job. So keep up the good work. And I just want to wish you all a very happy Christmas and all the best for the coming year. Let's just hope 2021 is a better year for all of us.
0: Thank you, Rachel. Nice to hear from you. I think it's the first contribution you've made to Mosin at Large, even though you've been listening every week. We have a lot of lurkers out there. So it's always nice to have a new voice on the show. Merry Christmas to you and yours as well. Yes, I think we could do with a little less drama in 2021. a your story, I think, is very typical of the experience that many people have had where they hummed and awed over getting an iPhone. They got one. They wanted to throw it out the window, which I wouldn't recommend given especially how fragile they used to be, unless you put it in one of those Otterbox cases, I suppose. And then something clicks. And over time, they just grow to love the thing and to embrace all that it offers. And then they think, what took me so long? Just listening to your talking there, Rachel, and talking about dictation made me think it must be really challenging for developers of dictation software in countries like the UK because, you know, you've got so many regional accents there, so many, whether it be, I think you're from the north of England by the sounds of it, somewhere up there, and then you've got Scotland and, you have very strong regional accents, so I do think it must be challenging. Lovely to hear from you. Carol Ashland is in touch as well. She says, this year has been difficult for me. My Apex died and HumanWare informed me that it couldn't be fixed. I had to upgrade to the first version of the Touch, then to the Touch Plus. Getting used to the fact that the Touch Plus created Word documents was difficult. I spent a lot of time on the phone with HumanWare's technical support but once I got going, things went better. My PC upstairs also died. (laughs) Dear me, and I had to get a new drive for it. I also updated my iPhone, so I have an 11-something. I'm thinking of switching phones to a blind shell because my hands shake and tremble so much that it makes using the touchscreen difficult. Music has always been a solace to me. Not popular music, but classical i majored in music education at college they wouldn't certify me to teach and i didn't fight them on it i'm 73 years old now my college career was back in the 70s now i have the soup drinker play a lot of music i found one popular group that i do enjoy home free thank you carol yes home free are great aren't they with that tight vocal harmony that they got going there really pleasant sound and they do some good covers, that's what they do, there is an accommodation under accessibility to help if your hands are a little unsteady. And you might want to investigate that. But in the end, I mean, if you just feel more comfortable with buttons, you should definitely go with what you like and uh, what works for you. I hope you have a less eventful technology year in 2021. Rebecca Skipper says, I have my parents to thank for giving me my first iPhone in Christmas 2015. Prior to this, I bought iPod Touches and sent them back out of
3: frustration.
0: I learned how to use the iPhone from free MP3 tutorials and haven't looked back. I went from using a BrailleNote Apex to an Orbit Reader 20 and a classic Focus 40. I use Braille displays with computers and my iPhone now. I do not use any proprietary software to browse the web. Smart speakers are amazing. I love the fact that blind people can use more mainstream technology in combination with assistive technology. I have a Victor Reader Stream, second generation, and love it, but I am no longer limited to using specialized tech. It is liberating. Andy Smith says, bro, bro, first off, congratulations to Nicola and Heidi and their awesome achievements. It seems like you've raised some smart, hard-working people, and I commend you and them for that, especially since your previous jobs required extensive travel. Well, thank you, Andy. And of course, it takes a village to raise a child. They've got a wonderful mum who's done a fantastic job as well. He says, for me, at least this decade has been full of growth. I started in high school and ended up graduating, getting blindness skills training, then college, and now I'm a full-time Braille with a capital B instructor. So it gladdens my heart to see the capital B when you're a Braille instructor. Long may you capitalize it. It's been very interesting, says Andy, for the past few months, teaching Braille remotely. Technology-wise, I started out with a Netbook, Remember those, I do remember those weren't they? horrible, God, slow and sluggish and er with <laughs> Windows XP I'm now mostly using a Mac with a virtual machine for occasional windows tasks, office muds like altar eon, etc. I had an iPhone four and now I'm using a ten. Technology amazes me every day with how much it's grown. Even blindness technology for my job. I often show students braille displays, including the Orbit Reader. I would argue that, though noisy, it's the highest quality braille you'll get, especially for the price. Blindness note takers were mostly running Windows CE and proprietary software. Now, most are running Android. Although Uber was founded in 2009, it seems that people didn't really start using it around here anyway, until this decade. I don't remember the last time I was in a real cab. It seems that more companies have taken notice of the blind during this decade as well. Take Netflix, for example. I believe it was in 2015 that it started adding descriptive video to content. Similarly, Twitter also added the alt text feature, I hope that the next decade is full of growth for us all also. Keep up the great work, says Andy. I'm amazed at your ability to work as CEO, podcast producer, health advocate, so many other things. Hmm. Though we're both atheists, I wish you and your family a happy, safe holiday. Thank you for the kind message, Andy, and the very same to you. I absolutely love this time of year. For me, it's about R&R because Christmas happens in our summertime, and I have many family traditions and happy memories of Christmas's past. So love this time of year. Same to you. And I also share your sentiments about the Orbit. Any technology that can get Braille in the hands of more people is a winner in my book. Braille is one of the most priceless gifts that blind people have been given. So the more people who can have that gift, the better. I know there were a few issues with reliability initially, and I presume that they've settled down. I've never owned an Orbit or anything like that, but I just support the concept of getting Braille under the fingertips of as many people as possible.
1: Good afternoon, Jonathan. It's Douglas Howard from Ontario, Canada. Hope you and your family are well. I just wanted to talk about briefly about smartphones and how they have come along over the past 10 years. I had received for a birthday present back in 2011, my first smartphone. It was an Android phone. I don't remember the make. I do believe it was a Samsung Geo, which is Android operating system, I believe. And it was very limited in accessibility, but once I put TalkBack on it, I could get a little further in reading my text messages, hearing what was on my phone and the callers and that. It was somewhat accessible, but track all the way to 2014, I purchased an iPhone 4S. It was much more accessibility-friendly. And I was on cloud nine, and it was amazing with the accessibility. I could read all the icons, hear them, should I say. I could hear who was calling me, who was texting me, and everything. And i become part of the Apple family for years now. Since then, I have purchased an iPhone 11 6s, an iPhone 8, and now I am on the iPhone 11 Max Pro. And I find over the past 10 years that Apple and Android, although they have competed, have both come a long way for their accessibility. But I probably would stay with Apple because I find the accessibility very good and I am very happy with the Apple product that I am using
0: the iPhone. There's no turning back now, I tell you. And Christopher Wright says, Thank you for knowing that this is the last year of the decade, not the beginning of the next. People always get this wrong, and it drives me crazy. Yes, I dream of a world where more people can count to 10 as well, Christopher. A lot has happened in the last 10 years in regards to computer technology. In 2011, I was using Windows XP and didn't have an iPhone or any other accessible phone at all. So many wonderful things have happened since then. Microsoft finally turned their accessibility act around, and will hopefully continue innovating and making their products better for a long time to come. I'm still waiting for better narrator support with Remote Desktop, but I have hope it, along with many other cool things, will be coming sooner rather than later. Apple quit caring about Mac accessibility, which is a shame. There's so much wasted potential. Perhaps this is a reflection on the company as a whole. Ever since Steve died, they've been making decision after decision that is stupider than the last. There's no other way to put it. The latest is the ridiculous $550 AirPods Max product. I'm sad all these talented people are wasting time and effort on silly things such as removing the headphone jack in favor of proprietary lightning accessories, adding the touch bar on the MacBook Pro, animated emoji, a feature to remind you to wash your hands, adding face ID while removing touch ID at the same time, etc. Face ID irritates me the most. Since I don't open my eyes, I would have to disable the attention tracking feature, which defeats the whole point of the feature. Amazon has come a very long way. We finally have a very good accessible alternative to the Apple TV. Their Kindle app is much more accessible. And of course, there's the awesomeness that is the soup drinker. We currently have 12 Echo devices in our house. This doesn't include the awesome B thermostat, which is, as far as I can tell, a nearly fully-fledged soup-drinker device in its own right. Prior to 2014, I had no idea what smart home technology was, but now we have all kinds of devices. These range from plugs to lights to a Roomba vacuum cleaner and more. The amount of information I have access to now is unprecedented. Smart home devices are major game-changers, and I wouldn't want to return to a time when they didn't exist. As I sit here writing this, I find myself thinking once again just how lucky I am to be alive during this time. I'm thrilled at the progress we've made in the last decade, and I can't wait to find out what happens in the next. Now is the best time for any person with any disability to be alive. I hope you and your family are safe and have a wonderful new year. Same to you, Christopher, and thank you for your contributions. I would just like to clarify your comment about Face ID so people are clear about the ramifications of turning the attention feature off, which some blind people may have to do. And actually, it is off by default. You can go in and turn it on if you want to and if it still works for you. And I'm surprised that it still actually does work for me. But for some people, it may not. When you have the attention feature turned off, only your face will still unlock Face ID. So if someone takes your phone from you and tries to unlock it by putting their own face in front of the camera, it isn't going to do it. That's because the True Depth camera is taking all sorts of data about your particular face and its characteristics. The one thing that the attention feature being disabled could do, and it's not a trivial matter, is that if someone grabs your phone and holds it in front of your face, then it could unlock Whereas with attention on, you have to look at the camera. That's the only difference. So there's still a significant level of security, but I do agree. It's not as great a degree of security as if you'd had attention on.
6: Hey, Jonathan, it's Mike. And uh, what a decade it's been. Uh, we've gone from the days when my computer and OCR scanner were two of the most important things in my possession and the iPhone was this frivolous thing that, uh, you know, could serve as a phone and uh, be fully accessible. But I, I kind of viewed it as a glorified phone, not much more than that. To now, where it's basically replaced both my OCR scanner and my computer for most of the stuff I do every day. Uh, and my stereo, uh, all these different things. I mean, it's it's just become such a, a unexpectedly monumental part of life. Uh, and so portable and so small, Uh, who would have ever thought? So I I guess very much for me that this decade has been the decade of the iPhone, and uh, it just seeing how much this rectangle I can hold in one hand as I'm recording this message on it is capable of. It's just been amazing, Uh, not only the the technology of itself, but the people who have gotten involved and championed these ideas and made the apps and, you know made the history that I feel like I've lived through 20 years of history in the past 10. Uh so much interesting stuff has has uh, happened. And uh you know the decade might be on a bit of a sour note on the way out with this covid thing, but wow, uh what what a an amazing 10 years and looking forward to a lot of the changes that that this 10 years this past 10 years has has basically laid the groundwork for I think for blind people it's going to be a really interesting and stimulating next decade and very much looking forward to uh, to living through it. Hats off to Mushroom FM 2. You guys have been a huge part of that for me and uh certainly for for Sarah and uh very much looking forward to uh, many many more hours of listening as uh, as this decade clicks over to the next one
0: yes as we go into this next decade i think what we can say is that many of us were starting to use iphones at the beginning of this decade for content consumption what has really changed is the way that so many of us are creating a lot of content be it audio or written on these devices now diane sims says yes i'm shy but i'll get over it that's okay diane thank you for writing it. and we'll be shy together that's all right First, I want to say that I thoroughly enjoyed the 24-hour John Lennon tribute on Mushroom FM. Yes, I catnapped most of the beginning of it, but from 7 a.m. until the end, I was glued to the A-Lady, meaning the soup drinker. I always learn so much musical history from you, so I bless and thank you for keeping my aging brain learning. Thank you, Diane. Will you ever do a tribute to George Harrison? We actually did one in... 2011 on mushroom fm diane so i may dust that off next year for the 20th anniversary or we may do another one while i've never been a fangirl of the beatles she says i do love their music and their individual works i used to have a couple of their 45s and i remember one of my parents taking me to see yellow submarine now for my tech stuff in 2011 i had an old but very much appreciated black and white magnifier. It was an all-in-one fat-back monitor and camera with an XY tray to lay the reading material on. The thing weighed about 50 pounds, felt like more, but in 2016, give or take a year, I got an upgrade to a flat-screen, colour, portable one, and I love it. It not only enlarges, it captures and reads aloud text like an OCR. In 2011, my dad got me an iPhone 4S for my birthday slash Christmas. Of course, he bought his first for his Christmas present. Now, I'm on the verge of upgrading from an iPhone 8 to a 12 Pro. It's kind of strange that while the iPhone family of products has gotten better throughout the decade, Siri dictation hasn't. I think the tech that has impacted me, I'll get over it in brackets, the most, is the internet. Not just this decade, but since I first logged on in the 80s. From logging on to BBS systems, to streaming music and videos and podcasts, especially now, during this pandemic, streaming things and listening to audio and ebooks has been and still is a lifeline for me. When I retired from the Library for the Blind at the end of 2019, I had planned on resting my mind and body for a couple of months, and then tackling some home jobs and maybe do some volunteering. Then the Rona hit. Well, there went my volunteering plans, so I went on the honey-do list. But since I couldn't physically socialize or even go to the store, I turned to the internet to shop and entertain myself. And then came Zoom. COVID stopped me from deleting my Facebook account since some of my favorite musicians started streaming mini concerts on it and YouTube. You stated one of your listeners wanted to know what music helps us get through their tough times. Two songs in particular lift my spirits greatly, and they are both by the same singer, Mesa. You are not alone, and it's going to be all right. Mesa used to be with the group Incognito. She also does Mace's Kitchen Karaoke Sundays on Facebook. So like I said, the internet is the best cough technology, not just of the decade, but of the centuries. Even my two A-ladies, meaning soup drinkers, cough cough, get a nod of appreciation. Cheers from Atlanta, Georgia, says Diane. At
1: podcast.
0: Looking at some things in the world of Apple that we should talk about this week i want to update you on the saga of my apple watch i have had a really bad run with the apple watch as you will be aware and it dates back to my purchase of the series 5 when i had all sorts of terrible battery life and i thought that it was probably because of a dodgy watch that was one incentive for me to buy the series 6 and the battery life just kept persistingly being persistingly bad. It was persisting annoying. It was really persisting me off, actually. So finally on election day here in New Zealand, Rocktober the 17th, when you're not supposed to talk about the election publicly in New Zealand, and it's all very kind of cloak and dagger. I didn't have a lot to do and Bonnie was away. So I encrypted a backup with iTunes onto my PC and then restored from that backup and it all fixed it. Then I got the iPhone 12 Pro Max, and in retrospect, I wonder if my big mistake was just answering yes to the automated question about whether you now want to use this watch with this phone. I kind of wish that at that point I had just unpaired the watch, maybe even set it up as new, because it doesn't take that long, really, to uh, set up an Apple Watch as new. Far less time than it would take you to set up a new phone when you've got hundreds of apps to install and many accounts to configure and that kind of stuff. Anyway, I have continued to have problems since my iPhone 12 Pro Max came along. And I wondered whether part of this was to do with the beta that I've been running. The big problem I had was that I could not install apps from my phone to my watch. I did find that with a bit of messing around, I was able to install apps from the store. So for those apps I really needed, I was able to get them from the store. But it was an annoyance wondering why can't I do this? It would flash over to downloading for a while and then just go back to install button and no apps would appear. Well, the other day, the release candidate for watchOS 7.2 showed up and then I also got iOS 14.3. There have been two release candidates this week. I got those and the problem persisted. So I realized this cannot be a general problem. Apple would not release with an inability to send apps from your phone to your watch. So I thought, all right, I'm going to back up my phone again with an encrypted backup. I'm going to erase the watch. I'm going to restore from that encrypted backup. And then I'm going to set the watch up as new. That'll fix it. Now that I've got the final release, did it fix it? No, it did not. And I said to Bonnie, you know what my summer project is, I think I really am going to have to set up my phone as new. I mean, gosh, I know the benefits that can be had, but when you've got the number of apps and email accounts and, I don't know, Twitter accounts, it's a really, really big job, you know. And then I started thinking, what else might I try? I even jumped on the Apple Watch forum on Reddit to see if anyone had any ideas. Nobody did. I obviously have done many web searches. None of the answers there applied to my situation. And so then I started thinking, what haven't I tried? And I thought, I wonder what would happen if instead of backing up to iTunes with an encrypted backup and restoring from that, I backed up to iCloud and restored from that, normally I do have the backing up to iCloud just running in the background, and whenever I initiate my encrypted backups onto iTunes, I do that manually. So I thought, let's do that, and I'll just make sure I've got an absolutely current backup on iCloud before I try this. Anything's got to be better than setting up the whole phone from scratch. So I went into iCloud settings and was somewhat intrigued to note that somewhere along the line, throughout all of this complicated process, iCloud backups had been turned off. So I enabled iCloud backups and told it to back up to the cloud. And because it was the first iCloud backup, because those backups are generally incremental, it took a while to back up even on our fast fiber connection to back up the whole phone to the cloud. But I completed the backup and just for giggles, just for grins, I thought, all right, well, now that iCloud is turned back on, Let's see if I can now transfer apps from the phone to the watch. And would you believe it? It
3: worked! Woo! woo woo woo
0: And I was just so relieved that I didn't have to set my phone up from scratch again. So at the moment, and believe me, I'm knocking so hard on the wood, my knuckles are hurting. I've got good battery life. I'm transferring apps from my phone to my watch again. All is right with the world, just in time, I have to say, just in time, for Apple Fitness Plus, which is due to be launched on Monday. This sounds like the mother of all workouts for your phone and watch, because it responds to what the data from the watch is telling the workout thing. Now, it is a subscription service. I will be trialing this and I have high hopes for this because although sometimes Apple drops the ball with quality control, and yes, we've talked about that a lot, typically when it comes to something like launching a new service, they tend to delight from an accessibility perspective. Don't you think? I mean, when you look back, say at Apple TV plus, people said, Oh, is it going to have audio description? It sure as heck did. And. They make sure that when they are doing Atmos titles, the audio description includes Atmos as well, which many others don't. When the Apple Watch came out, everybody said, is it going to have voiceover from day one? And it did. So normally, when it comes to those big product management decisions, Apple delights. And I'm hoping they are going to delight with Apple Fitness Plus that we will be able to access Really good audio descriptions of the exercises because the data that's being collected from the watch and that's feeding into those workouts, it is going to be amazing if it all comes together. So we don't have too long to wait. And if you try Apple Fitness Plus and you want to let me know what you think of it, then of course, we will look at this extensively in the new year. And if there are any good accessibility things to tell you, we may even do a demo of that. The other big Apple news across the week, of course, is the Apple AirPods Max. Now, I am tempted to at least try these because they will work with my hearing aids. The earbuds really don't. If I put AirPods in my ears, I have to take my hearing aids out and I just don't have enough control over volume and EQ to make it a good experience for me. So I gave them to Bonnie and she's really happy. Now, the over-the-ear headphones that are the AirPods Max, that's a whole, as they like to say in America, a whole nother, a whole nother kettle of fish. I think it could be quite interesting. But wow, they're not cheap. 599 US dollars, which translates to $999 here in New Zealand. And I did look yesterday. I thought, what would happen If I added this to my grown-up Christmas list, you know,
3: no more Baker Street or soup,
0: you know how it goes. But when I looked, I found that it was going to take between 12 and 14 weeks to get the AirPods Pro Max. So unless I happen to come upon them at a store locally here, I'm not going to be getting them for Christmas. And it's a bit of an extravagance anyway. I'm not sure I really want them, but I'm curious Because you would then be able, if you have a hearing impairment and you can work with hearing aids that sort of fit under the cups, and also as long as that doesn't throw all the clever acoustical things that Apple are doing, so there are quite a few caveats there, you would then be able to take advantage of the spatial stuff that Apple is doing with movies. So if you're splurging out, if you get yourself a pair of AirPods Maxes, I would be really interested to know how you like them. Mosin
7: at Large Podcast Yes, yes, yes Victory has been achieved here in New Zealand With the COVID Tracer app Now including the proper contact tracing APIs Which we're rolling out Thursday New Zealand time With a bit of rolled out by the time this airs on Mosin at Large So I'm happy Everyone in New Zealand's happy and everyone will be included because it means that we don't need to scan anymore. The API handles everything as it's designed to do. So it would be good to give us a test run to see how this works. And uh, hopefully if, if a case does come up here in Auckland and if I'm nearby, I should get an alert telling me such that, hey, you are near a case. Please protect yourself. Please wear a mask, da da da, all the things you need to do. Because, uh, being close to a case here in, 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 in an apartment block, not far from a known case, and only found out about it in the media, is a good thing, but, uh, having the exposure notifications, give me that, too, is a sense of security. And it will mean that everyone even people in wheelchairs or and uh, blind people can go somewhere in, knowing that the API is working. And if they do come in contact with the case, that they will get the proper exposure notification. So uh, congratulations to Chris Hopkins and everyone at the government for finally, at last, approving the Google, Apple, or Apple, Google contract. Tracing a PR for New Zealand, for the country that has taken the lead in stamping out COVID-19.
0: It is absolutely fantastic news about bleeding time, I have to say. But finally, we have indeed got there. Just a couple of things. The first is that the COVID response minister here in New Zealand, Chris Hipkins, has said that the government would prefer people to continue to scan the QR codes. The reality is that very few people were. And that was the fundamental problem with this QR code model. It's opt-in, it requires effort on the part of the scanner, and eventually interest will wane. That's bleeding obvious. And anybody who knows anything about user behavior knows this. It's very difficult to get people to opt-in like that long term. So they may well say that they want the code scanned Not many people are going to do it. The contact tracing API, the exposure notification system, is great. It's secure. It's been proven to work. It's low energy Bluetooth. There's very minimal battery drain. It's the right thing to do, and it should have been done
3: a long time
0: ago. But anyway, it's done now, and it is very good. It certainly makes me, as a blind person, feel like a part of what our prime minister has called the team of five million. The app itself is in good shape. In an accessibility context, just the barcode model was fundamentally exclusionary and flawed. I read this news story recently, and then I got an audio email from Andy that fit right in. So I'll go with the news story first, and then we'll hear from Andy. The Royal National Institute of Blind People, RNIB, is urging the UK's biggest retailers to make their Christmas TV adverts accessible for blind and partially sighted people. It says that almost 2 million people with sight loss, presumably that means blind people as well who've never seen, so they they ain't lost nothing, are potentially excluded from some or all of these festive adverts because they aren't produced with audio description AD, which makes the content accessible. The charity has been proactively pushing retailers to make their much-anticipated Christmas campaigns AD-enabled. And these calls have been heeded in the new commercials from John Lewis and Aladdin. What issues do the blind and partially sighted face? The RNIB has stepped in to address deficiencies in many marketing messages which fail to cater for all audiences, prioritising visual spectacle over all else. This currently affects around 2 million people in the UK with some form of sight loss, preventing them from fully experiencing many festive ads through the absence of audio description. David Clark, RNIB Director of Services, said Christmas TV adverts have become an essential part of the UK's festive culture and we believe that everyone should be able to take part in the conversation around them, regardless of how much they see. This not only makes good business sense, but audio description is also easy to produce at a tiny fraction of the budget most brands spend on Christmas marketing anyway. It is also the right thing to do to make everyone feel included. Good call from the IB, And it's not just about Christmas, is it? I mean, you see an ad on the TV and it's some piece of music or something or there's some drama acted out. And on the screen, it tells you what it's promoting. And as a blind person, you're left at the end of the ad thinking, what was that about? Or they give you the spiel. And this is, I'm sad to say, I have seen a few infomercials in my time. I've even bought one or two things from infomercials a very long time ago, you know, like those stepper machines and things like that, (laughs) that stay in your closet. This is before I really did start to take health and fitness seriously. And they say, phone the number on your screen now, call in the next 30 minutes and you get the steak knives, you know, and on and on it goes. And you never find out what the number on the screen is. And part of me says, well, then if they don't care about me enough, to make the number on the screen accessible, I'll spend my money elsewhere. But it's not always that easy when there's a product you really want. So good on the IB for doing that. Now to Andy. Look here,
4: it's the bamboozler. What does it do? Well, it doesn't slice, dice, chop, concatenate, press to digitate, calculate, or even relieve heartburn and constipation. But it is totally silent and won't bother grandpa bamboozler is the perfect gift for the guy who has too much practical stuff anyway you could spend three times as much for something five times better but you'd still spend three times as much don't forget order three bamboozlers by midnight tonight so that i can sell my remaining stock and make it to cancun before the federal trade commission comes along and shuts us down To place your order, use the number on your screen. If you can't read it too bad, all you got to do is go to www.cashinmypocket.com. That's www.cashinmypocket.com. Jonathan
1: Mosen, Mosen at Large Podcast.
0: We here in New Zealand are packing up and getting ready to have a pretty normal summer other than our borders being closed, but we don't have any COVID-19 in the community at all at the moment. In many other parts of the world, that is absolutely not the case. COVID-19 is still very real and very scary. And then you have people who are on the front lines trying to help those who have been affected and infected. And Deborah Sherman is one such person. And she writes, Hello, Jonathan, I recently have been listening to your podcast and appreciate your dedication, open-mindedness and humor. I want to bring up the topic of COVID-19. Living in a small town in Minnesota, we are seeing a great increase in the number of COVID patients needing to be hospitalised. There are some wonderful healthcare workers that are able to work with these patients selflessly. I am not among them. I work in our small hospital where the majority of the inpatients are now hospitalised due to COVID-19. My supervisor recently chose one OT, occupational therapist, PT, physical therapist, and ST, speech therapist, to be the designated therapist to treat the COVID patients. She selected me to be the PT. We have good protective equipment to wear, and I hope that continues, but I lose sleep thinking about going into those rooms. I realize these patients are mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, etc. But when I get to work and find them on my schedule, I start to feel ill inside. As I am putting on the protective gear, I am dreading and hate that I have to open that door and walk into the room. Then I hate that I hate it. When I come out of the room, I take off the PPEs, get meadow from her tie-down, and feel relieved to walk away from the COVID unit. COVID is real. It is alive and doing well. It is deadly and has taken so many lives of loved ones. For some, there are no or very few symptoms. They should feel fortunate. For others, there is the worst outcome. I have seen it strike whole families. Vaccines are on the way, but we need to stay vigilant and safe in the meantime and make smart decisions. Doing so will give us a future where we will have our families and be able to spend birthdays, holidays, graduations, all celebrations and every day with them. I do dread going into the rooms of patients with COVID-19. Hopefully, soon. That will be a thing of the past. One more thought. Many healthcare workers are also becoming ill with COVID symptoms. In our hospital, there are nurses and therapists out with symptoms. COVID puts added stress on healthcare. 2020 has been very challenging. Here's looking forward to a brighter 2021. And it's signed, Debbie. Debbie, you make me realize how inarticulate I am because I don't have the words to acknowledge and thank you for the work that you are doing. And I suspect that while everybody just soldiers on during times like this, there are probably many of your co-workers, not just in your hospital, but all around the world who are feeling similarly to the way that you are. It's only human nature to be fearful. And I suppose if there's one positive relating to that, that fear will result in people being extremely cautious about correct use of that PPE. But nevertheless, it would be foolish not to be aware of the danger, and clearly you are. So thank you for all you're doing. I wish you good health. I wish you strength. And I hope you can take some solace from the fact that you are making such a difference to the lives of people who are going through such difficult times. I don't say this very often because I know what a diverse audience we have, but I think I can say without any fear of contradiction that all of us thank you for your service and your sacrifice and also for sharing that bit of vulnerability with us. It's okay to be fearful, and the fact that you're able to talk about it, I think, is very helpful as well. Never forget the difference that you make. Thank you.
8: Hi Jonathan, Kylie Maloney here. While you're remembering musical genius though, don't forget that all this year people have been commemorating the 250 years since the birth of Ludwig van Beethoven. Born around the 17th of December 1770, he set about steadily dismantling the myriad rules surrounding both form and music in his lifetime. While he's on record as Hating fugue, he's also famous for creating some of the most brain-knotting fugue in history. Here's a small clip from the final movement of the piano sonata Opus 106 in B-flat, the hammerclavia. Was also way ahead of his time, instinctively knowing that while his contemporaries may have struggled with his work, later musicians would relish it. Here's a clip from András Schiff's masterclass on the late Beethoven piano sonatas, in which he demonstrates the third variation in Beethoven's final piano sonata, Opus 111, second movement. Change the accent slightly, and it would be a great little swing number, or as some have called it, proto-ragtime. Composed some a hundred years before swing was even heard of. Happy birthday, Beethoven, my main man. May your music live forever. On
0: to that perennially popular subject of recording, and Brian Gaff has a few comments. First on squeaky cassettes. He says these can be caused by several things. For pre-recorded ones... Often the Ausinge Ausinge it was spelt like that on the van. I'm very perceptive. <laughs> ah, often the housing is the issue. These are often very cheaply made, and the little rollers in the front corners tend to be not very well finished and sit on plastic spindles and they squeak as they age. Well, I suppose don't we all Brian? We all squeak as we age, I guess some players themselves squeaked. This was normally the take-up spool clutch, which tended to judder as it slipped at a certain hub diameter of tape loading. Lastly, if you used your tapes out of doors or in cars, the surface of the tape became polluted, and this could include scrape directly on the heads. Remember, it was held there by a spring and pad, and it was much like the way your finger squeaks on a damp window smell of cassettes yeah that was something tanya was talking about yes another well-known thing cassettes had what were called liners these were thin side liners either side of the tape with slippery surfaces the materials used tended to smell a bit some were just ptfe i.e teflon others were a kind of transparent plastic but with ridges to help keep the friction low I well remember that there were issues with PTFE since on our 16 times duplicator, they could generate enough static to actually spark to the metal hub of the copiers. Also, some tapes had distinctive smell. Audio magnetism was very obvious. I called it a dark smell, but Scotch, as they had a back coating, were more like a solvent type smell.
2: Carolina. My deal with cassette recorders is far less than a lot of people that's called in. However, I had three or four over several years, but the last one I had was a Sony, more of a professional interview type recorder used by people doing radio shows and other things. But it was a nice little recorder, it was a battery powered. And I'm big into steam trains. When I was a kid, they were still running steam at the back of our property. And every time we'd hear a whistle, my brother and I would run to the track and get the engineer and blow the whistle. That was a big deal. I love steam engines and steam whistles. So anyway, about, I guess it was about 40 years ago, They brought one of these round a steam train by at the back of the property, again, going from Raleigh to Greensboro. And it was one of those things that, you know, you could buy a ticket and ride the train. And it was the last one that came by here. So I decided this is a great time to record this thing. So I went down to the track took me a folding chair, and I sat up right there about uh, eight feet off the track to the side of the track. And there's a crossing about a quarter mile to the west and another one about a half mile to the east. And at that time, they didn't have gates uh, installed, and they didn't have bells at the gate so that when they closed, the bell would ring until the train passed. And I sure didn't want all that noise in the recording and i knew i'd have it so i was very lucky at that point anyway the train came by and you know i mean i was so close that it was when the engine passed it was just unreal the sound of that steam and i got the whistle way off at a distance and when i was a kid the whistles would have a very good echo as the train was coming and going past and further toward town. And I was afraid as much as it built up here, it would be gone. But the echo was still there, and I got a very good recording until the train passed, and of course it was still pulling a caboose. And several people was on the little porch at the back of the caboose, And a guy I knew that worked at an electrical supply house here in town yelled, Hey, West. And I knew immediately who he was, but he sure messed up my tape. And after the train passed the crossing to the west, some kid, I think, had a motorbike. And he sat there and watched the train pass. And once it passed, as far as he was concerned, the show was over. But I was wanting to get the whistle going off in the distance. He had to crank that motorbike up and rev it several times, and away he went. That was in my recording, too. I didn't have any means at the time to edit this thing. And since then, and before I could get it on uh, some digital means, I lost the tape. And I keep hoping it's going to turn up again one of these days, but so far it hasn't. But that was a very good recording that I hate to have lost.
0: Ah, That's a good discussion point, isn't it? The recording that got away, the recording you made that you wish you kept, or, of course, the recording that didn't work, the recording that, as we used to say with cassettes, didn't turn out right. I've done several interviews, mercifully not too many, though, where I've recorded what I thought was the most epic, epic interview and I didn't have it at the end of it for some reason. Oh my word. It's heartbreaking when that happens.
9: Listeners, uh,
0: when you get me on tape recorders, I'm not quite sure how many
9: stories I could tell. I'm not quite sure when I'd stop, but I'll, I'll tell a few. Uh, my brother is also totally blind. So, so he and I had a lot of, uh, fun with tape recorders. We used to record supper. Some nights, just for something to do, just in case somebody said something interesting around the table. We uh, we made a lot of tapes of ourselves uh, playing and singing. I, I played the piano in kind of a Jerry Lee Lewis style, and he sang in sort of a Little Richard style. So I'm sure that was pretty entertaining for eight- and nine-year-old kids and the, the folks who received those tapes for birthday gifts and Christmas gifts and things like that. They pretended they liked them anyway, so I hope they did and uh i know uh, when i got married a few years ago they uh, somebody brought one of those tapes they digitized it just to kind of reminisce about about how that sounded anyway uh, of course recording off the radio a lot of listeners have commented on that but that was a, a staple all the countdowns, Casey's Top 40, and different local countdowns that would be on. We'd also record uh, we'd, with a line-in cord hooked up to the ghetto blaster, as they call it, and uh, it would be hooked up to the satellite receiver. We had a satellite dish at the time with uh, MTV and VH1 often uh, turned on, so we'd uh, hook the receiver up to the online, uh, or I should say, line-in cord. And needless to say, the other end of the court into the ghetto blaster. And so we'd record, uh, the top 20 countdown from MTV or, or different things like that. Or if there was a world premiere coming on, we'd, we'd record that because we knew we wanted to see the Guns N' Roses first, uh, time the video aired. And of course, we wanted to have it recorded on a cassette. Didn't really need it on a VHS, but we definitely needed it on a cassette. And, uh, I still have some of those. Don't uh, have many of the other radio recordings I made in the 80s. but I uh, wish I did, but I, I just don't. Uh, and the recording I'm about to talk about, I don't have it either, but uh, we were in a mainstream junior high school at the time. He was in grade 7, I was in grade 9. And uh, just to make it easy, I'll give the teachers names. I had Miss McKendrick for grade 9 English. And uh, Darcy, my brother, at the end of his grade 7 class... When he left Mr. Mitchell's classroom, a grade nine English class, entered that classroom. And I kind of wondered if they were covering the same material as Miss McKendrick and I were covering. And if theirs was more or less interesting and and so what what have you. So there was a talking book machine in the classroom because of one of the books that Darcy was reading in, in his class, grade seven, was on tape. And so at the end of the uh, his class one day, I said, why don't you put a tape in that recorder, a blank one, recorded at 15 16th inches per second. So we get almost two hours on one side of a two hour tape and uh, put braille paper over the top of it so nobody sees the motion sensor going around. It was one of those flat ones where the controls are on the front and the kind of Eject doors in the in the middle, and the motion sensor that some of the listeners talked about is is in there, and then the speaker grill on the back, so I said, uh record a class secretly, and then the next day take the tape out, take it home, and I'll listen to it and and see uh if their class is is better or worse than ours so I did and i I don't remember the result, but i I do remember getting a kick out of listening to it, just one other quick story uh one night, this were into about 96, by now my aunt had a few drinks and thought she'd perform solo guitar and singing for another aunt who was about to have a birthday and and uh, record it and give it to her a few days later when her birthday came. So she did that. Then the next day she listened back to it and she didn't really think it sounded great. She thought maybe she'd had a few too many drinks before she sang. So she Brought it up to to our place and said, I want you guys to listen to this tape before I give it as a gift, because I'm not quite sure if it's good enough to, to give as a gift or not. So we did, and it wasn't good enough to give as a gift, but I snuck it away, took it down to the basement, and at the time, for some reason, it was a bit of a surprise to me, and I don't even know how it did it, but I had a high-speed dual-track dubbing tape deck, And so I spent, it took me 15 minutes to make a sneaky copy of that one hour tape that she'd recorded. So I still, I still do have that. I should, I should bring that
0: out someday. Anyway, those are my tape recorder stories. Thanks, Darren. It's interesting how these stories remind me of other stories that I'd forgotten about. And you talking about a tape recorder in the classroom reminded me that in 1986, I had a textbook that was only available on cassette. It was an economics textbook, and it was read by a volunteer narrator. And so I had the APH four-track machine in the classroom, and it was just when Genesis' Invisible Touch album had come out. And the economics teacher popped out. So I had this four-track machine, and actually it had a pretty good speaker, that thing, that big one. If people were using those, you will remember... It had a surprising rich tone about it, that machine. <laughs> so I popped in the cassette of Invisible Touch and said to the classmates, hey, do you want to hear this? And of course, they were rocking along and then uh, the teacher started to come back and they kept saying, hey, he's coming back, he's coming. I couldn't hear it because I was right by the machine rocking along to Invisible Touch. So the economics teacher walked in while Invisible Touch was playing and they confiscated my recorder that wasn't a very sensible idea if they'd have confiscated the cassette that would have been much more sensible but because they confiscated the recorder in my precocious teenage self I said you know you're actually taking away an accommodation and now I can't read like any other student can read and you shouldn't do that to me and on and on so eventually he relented and gave the machine back Now, Douglas has written in asking me about my story, Louis the Blind Christmas Elf. And for those not familiar with this, this is something that I wrote a few years ago at the request of my kid's mum, actually, who is now a teacher of blind children. And she was really concerned because a little girl was worried that if she wrote to Santa in Braille, Santa might not be able to read it. And she remembered the stories that I used to make up when the kids were little. And could I make up a story? to help the child feel less anxious about this issue. And that's how Louis, the blind Christmas elf, came into being. And since then, I put it up on the web in written and audio form. And it's been amazing to me and very moving, actually, how many blindness organizations around the world tell me that they have used this story in schools, in chapter meetings of consumer organizations. It really has been something. There's even been... A Louis the Blind Christmas Elf play written. And earlier in the year, I heard from somebody who's translating it into German. So it's really just amazing to me. And anyway, Douglas wants to know where can he hear it? It's always available if you would like to either read it or hear the story. It's at mosen.org. That's m-o-s-e-n dot org slash Louis. L-o-u-i-s. mosen.org slash Louis. If you'd like to hear Louis,